Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Welcome back to our verse-by-verse study of the book of John, chapters 13 through 17 that we're just entering now, is Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples that ends with his prayer for them in 17. It's just a very powerful set of chapters. Jesus had led his disciples to an upper room in the city of Jerusalem in order to conduct the Last Supper. And having dined one final time together before his arrest, he would give them an object lesson that they would never forget. I've uh, been blessed to have traveled to Israel on many occasions, and I've got to stand in the room that they believe is the room that was uh, that they conducted the Last Supper. It's about the size of the room that we're in today. And uh, I'm told right now uh, that uh, there are many Jewish believers over there that have kind of uh, gone into the upper room and begun to sing praises, and it's kind of like a a revival that's breaking out right there in Jerusalem, as uh, as I'm reading about uh, in other places, not just in our country, but other parts of the world. The disciples often argued about who would be the greatest, and Uh, among them, and who would get to sit next to Jesus in heaven. So Jesus shows them what the greatest among them should do. You want to be the greatest? You have to serve everyone else. And in this chapter, Jesus exhibits three relationship practices. Let's begin with practice number one, his humility to the Father. We see his humility to the Father. As stated last week, chapter 12 began what Uh, we have come to refer to as Passion Week. It's the eight days just prior to Jesus's resurrection. It begins on a Sunday and it ends on a Sunday, of course, with the resurrection. As our study, our story opens, it is Thursday of that Passion Week, the fifth day when Jesus observed the Passover feast with his disciples. Here we view the Lord's humility in two different ways. Letter A, by what he knew. Let's begin reading our passage today. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. See, Jesus knew what lay ahead of him, the cross and suffering, and he knew what the outcome would be. The outcome would be Uh, God's glory and our salvation. Jesus knew what he was about to do would bring glory to his heavenly father, and he humbly consented to it. He knew what his father's will was for him leading up to and beyond the cross. Dr. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite writers, said this, when the servant of God is in the will of God, he is immortal until his work is done. 
Isn't that interesting? Let me say that again. When the servant of God is in the will of God, he is immortal until his work is done. Many times we've seen now, just in these uh, 12 chapters we, that are behind us, that they sought to kill Jesus on numerous occasions. They wanted to stone him to death on at least three occasions that, that come to my mind. They were going to seize him and they were going to stone him to death for the words that he had said. He had claimed to be God. This was blasphemous to, to them. They had to ignore all his miracles and had to ignore the word of God for them not to see this. But he was immortal until his work was done. God would choose the hour, not man. Jesus knew that nothing could take place without first having been approved by his Father. And I don't know how many times in life that has encouraged me. When a storm comes that seems beyond what we can imagine or go through, I take comfort in knowing that God has allowed this to happen. This did not surprise Him. This one didn't get, a, get past Him without Him knowing. God saw this coming, knew this was coming from the foundations of the world, and yet He still allowed it to come into my life and your life. So the question isn't why, it's what do you want me to learn from this? All along, the Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus, but the Father prevented them from laying hands on Him. So Jesus knew He could humbly submit to himself, himself to the Father, and so can we. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, and He's trustworthy. And while we don't know why this storm is in our life, perhaps, when it comes, or how we're going to get through to the other side, we do know that He will take us to the other side, and He'll go with us. We believers know that we've been made children of God. We know that. We're His children. That we're going to be with God one day. No matter what happens down here, our future is with God. And that we have everything we need in order to go through the trial that we're going through. Don't ever forget that. So we can take our eyes off of ourselves. We can take our eyes off of this world and prioritize serving others, which is exactly what Jesus did. Keep in mind here, this is just hours before he would be arrested, beaten beyond our wildest imagination, and then nailed to a cross to suffer the most cruel of deaths. What is on Jesus' mind? Serving. Why? Because he can trust his Father. We view the Lord's humility in two ways. Letter A, by what he knew intellectually, and then by what he did, what he put into practice. See, knowing something isn't the same as doing anything. I can, I can memorize the Bible, but if I don't allow it to work through my actions, what good is it? I just become a really smart sinner. The Word of God is there to change us, to transform us. The Holy Spirit wants to take the Word of God and transform our lives to be more effective for Him and to serve Him in a way that would bring Him glory. Verse 4, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. 
At this point, everyone in the room understands what is about to happen. And this must have just shocked them to the core of their being. Verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Key lesson, what Jesus knew guided him in what he would do. What we know needs to transform us into the decisions we make in our lives. After dinner, Jesus took off his outer garment and and he wrapped himself with a towel around his waist. And this was immediately a dead giveaway as to what he was doing. And the disciples had to recognize it immediately. When Jesus picked up the basin of water and the towel, the disciples must have felt a heavy, heavy sense of guilt fall upon them. Since the room was not occupied by the owner, there was no host. It was a no-host dinner. It was a serve-yourself dinner. There were no servants in the room by definition of, of job. But every one of those disciples, every one of them should have been first to jump up and go, I got this. I'll do this. They should have thought of this. The last person in the room, the last person on the planet Earth that ever should have donned the servant's robe, got on his knees and washed filthy feet, the last person is Jesus. The one who spoke the stars into existence. The one who breathed into Adam's mouth the breath of life, the one who sustains everything by the power of his word. He's the last one that should have served that night. And yet he gave these young men a lesson in humility that they would never forget. You want to be great in the kingdom? You want to be great in God's eyes? Become the servant of everyone else around you. Now, this flies in the face of what the world teaches and believes. It's the complete opposite. You know, it, it's, it, it's upside down. Listen to me. Do you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, when we meet him? Well, this is how it begins right here. We have to get off our high horses, wrap ourselves in servitude, and serve those around us. So what does this look like for us? Well, we find out what our gifts are and how and where we can deploy them in Jesus' name. How can we do this? And if I were someone who hasn't discovered that upside-down life, if I didn't know what my spiritual gifts were, I would rush to find out. I would rush to get this part right as soon as I could. Why? Because time is running out. I picture an hourglass. The sands are going through the hourglass, and they have for for many, many centuries. But listen, my friend, the sand is, is getting low on the top end. And the final grains are going through. If you're going to get this right, you better get right soon before it's too late. This wasn't a suggestion, by the way, from Jesus. This is a commandment from him to serve one another. No doubt Peter, years after this moment, was forever etched into his mind, remembered the awesome humility 
and the submission of the all-powerful that night. He never forgot it. He wrote these words, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. These are his words. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed. See that word picture? He had to remember that. Jesus clothed himself in humility that night. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want grace? Boy, I need grace every day. I need grace every hour. I want grace. Yeah, how do I get it? Verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What a powerful moment this is, just hours before the cross. How interesting this is. This deserves us to pause for a moment. He's about to be rested. He knows all that's about to happen in a matter of hours here. And yet Jesus is serving on his hands and knees. Jesus, using his hands to wash their feet, would have his hands and feet nailed to a cross. His blood would flow down in order to wash the disciples' sin away, which is the greatest act of love and humility that the world will ever know. And it began with humility. Jesus exhibits three relationship practices. Practice number one, we see humility to the Father. And here's practice number two, His holiness explained to Peter. Now He's going to have a conversation with Peter. I love Peter. I do. I know a lot of people make fun of him, and he's, uh, you know, he's an easy target. But I see myself in Peter too many times to condemn him. Verse 6, Then he came to Simon Peter. He's washed several of the disciples' feet, but now he comes to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. There's an exclamation point on that. Well, that's a statement. <laughs> uh, Peter talks without thinking sometimes. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. See, Peter's always hard over. He's always pressing the gas to the floor. He's always crushing the moment. There's no middle with Peter. It's all or nothing. Here he, he makes this outrageous statement to the Lord. And a few hours later, he'll deny, I don't even know who you, Jesus. Never heard of him. Wasn't me. Well, I wasn't there. No, I'm not his disciple. Peter was one way or the other. Verse 9, and Peter said to him, Lord, not, not just my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I'm going all in. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You're not all clean. Can you imagine the depths of love? Can you imagine the depths of mercy and grace? to wash the feet of your betrayer. The one that would hand you over to the Romans. A brother. And the sign would be to kiss Jesus' cheek. 
He told the Roman soldiers, hey, whoever's, I'll go up and kiss him. That's Jesus. That's how we're going to identify him. That's how I'm going to betray him, with a kiss. On the other end of the spectrum, Jesus gets on his knees and washes his betrayer's feet. Wow. When you read through the Gospels, you're immediately confronted with how many times Peter blurts out statements without pausing to consider their weight or appropriateness. And here again, we read of him blurting something out that's kind of over the top. Now, I must also confess here that I might just as easily blurt it out a similar line if I'd have been sitting there in front of Jesus. In fact, I might have suggested that Jesus just throw me into the washing machine and hit the seriously soiled mode. <laughs> I'm fil- in front of you, Jesus. I'm fil- I mean, I get, just get the fire hose. And the word Jesus uses here is nipto in the Greek, and it translates to cleaning a body part. So uh, you moms might say, uh, hey, kids, go nipto your hands. Mom didn't say take a shower. Mom said, wash your hands, nipto. But Peter responds differently with a different word. He chooses a different word. Luo, which means to take a bath, to, to wash yourself all over. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's trying to explain to the disciples the importance of having a holy walk. And it's so critical to maintain a holy life as you walk through this world. The Lord blessed me last year, and I got to buy my first new vehicle. Now, it's not really a new truck. It's a, it's, it, it, it had 800 miles on it. Somebody bought it, and after 800 miles, decided it just wasn't for them. And, uh, and so I was the benefactor uh, of um, quite a discounted vehicle. It was kind of fun. It's the newest vehicle I've ever owned, or probably ever will own. It has a shiny new used paint. It has shiny new used chrome on it. And it has shiny new used black tires that I kind of like. As I drive it around, or, or just drive it around, period, in great conditions. You know, the dirt from the farms and everywhere we drive around here gets all over this vehicle. His name is Chief. Chief gets dirty. But you know what I don't do? When he gets dirty, I don't drive back down to the dealership and say, hey, my truck's dirty. Well, you got another one? Maybe that's what the guy did with the 800 miles. Maybe 800 miles, the truck was dirty, and he turned out, I don't know. That's not what I do, and I don't think that's what you do either. And that's not what God does. That's not what our salvation talks about here. No, I take chief, and I simply go to my favorite turbocharged car wash. We didn't have turbocharged car washes in Southern California. You know the one that has 27 neon colors of flashing strobe lights as you go through And just like chief, when we receive salvation from God, we are completely washed and made clean. The cross washes away our sin forever. We receive the righteousness from Jesus. He took off our filthy rags from us. He took off his robe of righteousness and we traded in what I call the glorious exchange. Wow. The righteousness of Christ and, I, and he took on my filthy robes, stained with sin, and went to the cross, and he paid the price for my sin. I got grace for free. 
And so did you if you have it. We don't have to go back to the cross and start all over again. No, Jesus says, no, that's that's not how this works. We simply need to confess our sin and have a foot wash and move on. This is an important aspect in walking with God because Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Well, that's uh, quite a statement right there. I want to be washed. We need to confess our sin, sure, in order to have it unhindered communion with our Father and to experience holiness as God intended. The shorter we get from sin to confession, the quicker you will gain holiness with God and your relationship with God will grow. The longer that takes, the more painful that takes and the further from God we get in the process. So we want to keep a short tab, short, short order on our when we fall. Get back up. God, I blew it. I want, to, I want to move forward now. God says, okay, come forward. Your sin's already paid for. I already paid for it. We're just going to wash your feet. Now let's get walking again. Jesus exhibits three relationship practices. Practice number one, his humility with the Father. We see that. He trusts him. He's a humble servant. Practice number two, the holiness, which was explained to Peter. And here's practice number three, his blessings explained to all the disciples. He's going to now address all the disciples in the room. And he's going to explain how they can have joy in their life, how they can have happiness, how they can have blessings in their life. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, here it is, blessed are you if you do them. See, this isn't the great suggestion. This is the great commandment to love one another. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. He's going to say that in just a minute here. I've washed your feet, washed your neighbor's feet. What does that look like? When they get sick, call them up. When they are in the middle of a crisis, see if you can drop off food to them. We do that so well here. I love it. We call it meal train. You can sign up for meal train when someone's going through a crisis to Just give them something to eat so they don't have to be in the kitchen. You can call them. You can write them. There's so many ways you can contact people now. Email, text. It goes on and on and on. You can hug them when you see them at church. You can whisper, hey, I'm praying for you. And then do it. We've got a prayer team that is voracious in their prayers. Every Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, join them. Come and pray for each other. Let me point out the sequence that we just that Jesus taught here with his life, a successful relationship strategy in proper order begins with being humble, humble service to God. Number two, living holy lives. 
We confess our sins and then we move forward. We keep going forward. And then number three, blessings, contentment, happiness, joy are ours to experience. Blessings and joy are a result of a life lived in obedience to God. Humble obedience to God. When we walk in humility, loving God and serving others, when we pursue holiness by confessing our sin and keeping a short tab on that, then we can experience God's blessing and joy that He's promised in spite of everything going on around us. There can be a hurricane going on around us, but if you're walking humbly with your God, if you're confessing your sin and and maintaining a pure life with Him, it doesn't matter what's going on. You can stand in the eye of the storm where there's peace and you can walk with God through it. Humble and holy lives produce happy and healthy living. The world scratches its way to the top in empty pursuits of happiness while godly and humbly servants serve their way to the bottom and they discover God's blessings innumerable. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.